Hey, welcome to church today. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. For those of you who do not know me, I want to welcome everybody that's watching us online this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in and staying connected to Passionate Life Church. All right, we are in a series called uh, World vs. the Word, and we haven't even got into the details of the difference uh, because I want you to know that you know that you know that you can trust the Word of God, that the Bible was written for us so that when you're opening up the Word of God, you know that there are several reasons why you can trust the Bible. And last week, uh, we talked about eyewitness accounts and, and that the people who actually wrote the Bible were there, right? We talked about that last week, specifically the Gospels. If you missed that, you can check that out online, okay? Hey, before we get into it today, before we get into it today, um, I've got something that is really awesome that I know as a community we're going to get really excited about and we're going to step into it. Um, so Harvest Fest was awesome. It was a huge success. Um, so many people stepped up and gave candy and volunteered. And so this week in, in staff meeting, um, something happened. So we normally do gingerbreads for Jesus, and it's usually just an internal thing for our families. And so we were talking, and it went from an internal gingerbread for Jesus to a gingerbread extravaganza. Come on. And so we just have a heart to continue to reach our community for Jesus. Um, and, and it's just so easy to invite your friends and family that maybe would never come on a Sunday, but they would come to an event like that. And so, uh, man, we're going to do it downstairs in the cafe and in the gym. We're going to uh, put out tables, and, and we're just going to invite the whole community, just like we did for Harvest Fest, to come in. We're going to have a, a hot chocolate bar. Um, it, man, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be right after church, okay? And listen, I know the Broncos are playing, the Detroit Lions that week, okay? Your pastor's got you covered, okay? Uh, we're going to have the game on during the event, okay? Come on, I got you. Uh, and we're going to feed the, we're going to feed you right after church. And so the event will start at one um, as we reach our community. Man, we're planting seeds of love and grace and Jesus into our community. And so how can you help? How can you help? Um, you can go to the Welcome Center and pick up one of these. Uh, these are some of the uh, gingerbread donations needed, okay? So there's a lot of different things that we're going to need because um, we're expecting several hundred kids to show up to this thing, okay? And so uh, we want to do this well. And so this is an opportunity for you to serve our community and do an outreach, okay, to them. And so we need some uh, resources. Uh, so the next time you're at the grocery store, you can pick up uh, some of these and, and bring them to church on Sunday. We'll, we'll have a collection barrel that you can put this stuff in. So it's really going to be an awesome time. If you want to uh, sign up to serve, you can do that uh, today also. Uh, I believe it's December 17th is, is when we're going to be uh, doing it in, in, in church. It's going to be an awesome time to reach our community. Uh, most churches aren't doing outreaches during this time. Um, and we're just, man, we're just one of the crazy churches that just want to reach our community for Jesus through any means necessary, uh, even building gin 
gingerbreads. Uh, we're going to have awesome prizes. You're going to see signs everywhere and flyers. And so it is going to be an awesome time to reach our community for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Awesome. All right. Hey, it is the first of the month. And so the first of every month, what we try to do is take communion today. So uh, if you do not get an all-in-one, uh, I'll make sure you get an all-in-one as we transition into communion as part of our response time. Okay? Awesome. All right. Part six today, okay? Part six today, um, reason why we can trust the Bible, uh, historically validated. The Bible has been historically validated through archaeology, okay? Archaeology is known as the Bible's best friend, okay? Um, we are just going to go through about 10 today, okay? But there are thousands of discoveries that prove the Bible is true. Archaeologists actually use the Bible to find things, okay? They're at this, that point where they use the Bible to find different uh, cities and all different types of things. And so the Bible has been historically validated through archaeology. And so this is going to be a very knowledge-heavy uh, message uh, today, um, but I'm going to preach at you at the end, okay? I promise you, all right? Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. This is your moment, God. Father, I thank you that you wrote a book for us uh, that we can, uh, man, we can historically validate it, Lord. Um, and so we thank you for it. God, I thank you for every person that's in this room today and watching online. You have a purpose and a plan for our lives, even in this moment, this morning, as you supercharge our faith through archaeology. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds. Let us draw a little bit closer to you. Jesus, get me out of the way, all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, amen and amen. This is going to be a, a fun, seri uh, fun message uh, to preach today. Before we get into the 10, let me just mention one that is literally the biggest discovery of all time, but has a lot of controversy behind it, um, and I'm going to save it for later, and that is the Shroud of Torin. Um, the Shroud of Turin is literally the shroud that they wrapped Jesus in, and it, it literally has his imprint in it, okay? Uh, six gigawatts of energy hit this shroud and made an imprint of the body of Jesus. I mean, you can see the, the, the thorns, you can see uh, the holes in his hands, you can see uh, the, the lacerations in his back. Um, but I'm going to save that. I think I'm going to save it for Holy Week, and, and we're going to do a deep dive in that. I mean, you want to talk about driving something home. You bring uh, someone who doesn't know Jesus, and there's literal tangible evidence of this. And so um, I just wanted to mention it because it is a huge discovery. Uh, science, it, it's been the most researched by all different types of people, scientists, historians, um, and, and None of them know how it was created, okay? We still don't have technology today to create, recreate something like that. And so I just wanted to mention it, okay, uh, because it's an incredible discovery, but I need a whole message uh, to talk about something like that, okay? All right, number one, first discovery that we're going to go through today is the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in 1947 in the ruins of Qumran, found 950 documents and 220 biblical scrolls. And so you can, if you ever go to Israel, you can actually like walk down and, and um, see all of these uh, discoveries. And so what, what you see up here um, on the right, that is a, a jar 
um, that they found in this cave. And so the story behind this is that there were some shepherds and uh, they lost one of their sheep. And so they were looking for a sheep and they thought that it might have gone into a cave. So he picks up a rock and throws it into the cave to see if he hits a sheep, right? And he doesn't hit a sheep. Instead, he hits a, uh, a jar and he hears it crack. And so he goes in and they discover uh, all of these jars that contain uh, contain the Dead Sea Scrolls. And you can see uh, a portion of it. Uh, what, what they found in there, some little fragments, uh, pieces of scripture. Um, they found uh, 950 whole documents written by uh, a group of people called the Essenes people. And they were a Jewish sect during this period of time, over 2,000 years ago. Okay, they were writing during the time of Jesus. And what they did is they removed themselves. They were a very conservative sect, kind of like the Pharisees, Sadducees, and they removed themselves from society. They went out into the, the desert and said, hey, we just want to live a certain way. We want to, uh, um, you know, scribe things. We want to write things. And so uh, what they also found is a lot about their culture and their, and their people during that period of time. And one of the biggest discoveries in the Dead Sea Scrolls is they found the whole book of Isaiah from beginning to end. And what they found is the, the copy that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls is almost identical to the one that we have today. Huge discovery. This second one is in the, is in the similar vein. Um, this is the burnt scroll of Leviticus found in 1970. Why is this important? Okay, because it was discovered that it was written in 50 to 100 AC. So it was written very, very early, okay, after Christ's resurrection, right, uh, discovered very, very early, and what they have found, and so it was burnt, okay, it was completely burnt, and it was actually like, like, like a charred stick, and, and they saved it because we didn't have the technology to actually read it until today, so they, they kept something for almost 50 years and waited for the technology to catch up. And that's what's happening today. When our technology gets better, we are going to continue to discover more and more discoveries in Scripture. And so what they found, they found the first two chapters of uh, Leviticus. And what they found is it's almost identical, again, to the first two chapters that we have of the book of Leviticus today. And so what the Dead Sea Scrolls and this uh, burnt scroll of Vicodus tells us is that the Bible is a stable book, right? Many people like to say, agnostics and atheists and, and doubters of scripture will say, oh, the Bible's been changed over thousands of years. How could that possibly happen? Well, no, we have proof out of the Dead Sea Scrolls and this uh, burnt uh, copy, uh, the burnt scroll of Leviticus. No, no, no. The Bible has been the same for thousands upon thousands of years. It is a stable book. And because of that, when we read it, we know that we're reading what is true, written by God. Discovery number three. Let's look at number, discovery number three. Okay. Discovery at the Temple Mount. So they discovered the Temple Mount in 2015, in 2017. And what they discovered was old pottery arrowheads, colonial seals that dates to David's conquest of the city in Solomon's colonnade, okay? For some reason, um, doubters bring up Solomon's colonnade. They, they like to bring up places and people and say that these people never existed, these places never existed, and so if they never existed, then the Bible isn't 
true. John 10, 23. Let's look at scripture here today. He was in the temple that they found walking through the section known as Solomon's colonnade. That picture that we actually saw that we were looking at today, that is an actual colonnade from Solomon's colony. It's a column. It's the top of a column that they found at this temple mount. Acts 5, 12. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's colonnade. So they found Solomon's colonnade. Okay? Again, this proves that there, there was a real temple there, and there was a real place called Solomon's Colonnade. What that does is it continues to validate Scripture. Okay? Let's continue. Number four, Jabal's cattle cult. Okay? And here's the question that goes with it. Is there proof people lived before the flood? I think that's a good question, right? Uh, because there are other sources that talk about a worldwide flood. Not just the Bible, but there's other sources that were written around that time that talk about a, you know, a worldwide flood. And so is there proof, is there proof that there were people before the flood? And what we're looking at here today, and maybe you're like, well, what, what am I looking at, okay? Uh, you're looking at what's called a uh, cattle cult and a guy by the name of Jabal, okay? So those really thin, if you can look at it, they're like really thin, narrow um, sections. And basically they would have, they would bring cattle in and through those narrow sections and they would ritualistically kill them. And so what they found there was, was bones of animals and different, uh, you know, things around that area because they would bring them there and then they would sacrifice uh, the, the cattle in these cattle Cults. And so let's look at the passage of scripture that lines up with this. And uh, archaeologists ha have dated that section that they found to the book of Genesis here for 19 through 20. Now, this is out of the, the lineage of, of Cain, okay? And we know that Cain was, was cursed because he killed his brother. And so his line didn't serve the Lord. His line up to this point didn't serve the Lord, okay? So Lamech married two women, one named Adah and the other Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabal, okay, Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raised livestock. And so he's the first guy that, that raised livestock, but he's also the first person that created ritualistic. They were pagan. They worshiped cows, and we see this later on when we see the, the, the idol of Baal uh, come, come to being. And so he was the first one who created this uh, cattle cult that killed uh, cattle in a rich, ritualistic manner, okay? And so we have proof of that. All right, number five, number five, Pontius Pilate's ring and stone. So if you remember Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, people for decades have been arguing that Pontius Pilate wasn't a real person, okay? That he wasn't a real person. He was a made-up person. Um, and, and because they're always trying to bring doubt to the story of Jesus, right? They're always trying to bring doubt to the story of Jesus, uh, the, the validation of Jesus. And so if they can prove that Pontius Pilate never existed, was a made-up person, then, well, this whole story of Jesus could be made up too. Well, 
This is what they found. They actually found a stone that says Tiberius Pontius Pilate on it. That's what you're looking at at the left that actually uh, states that he was the governor during this period of time. And then on the right, what you see is his actual copper ring. And we know that because of technology, uh, we, we can superimpose it. That's what you're seeing on the right. And we, that's actually the symbol of uh, Pontius Pilate's name. And so what does that validate? That validates that Pontius Pilate was a real person during this time and was a governor, okay? And so it's these small little details that bring more and more uh, validity to Scripture and what we're reading. All right, let's continue. Number six, number six. What you're seeing here is the seals of King Hezekiah and Isaiah. These are 2,700 years old. Okay, so during this time, um, a lot of people had seals that they would carry around with them. Uh, I, I don't know if it's like a driver's license or I, I don't know what it is. Um, but it was, they had these seals made with their seal on it, with their name on it, okay? And, and they found these. These are 2,700 years old. And what's very interesting about uh, this is that they found both of these seals uh, three feet from each other, okay? Three feet from each other. And so what does that tell us? Well, that brings 2 Kings 20, 1 through 6 to life today, okay? Let's, let's read it. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. Now, Hezekiah is the king. He served the Lord, and Isaiah uh, also worked with Hezekiah a lot, gave him wisdom. Uh, he, he was the prophet uh, during his time. And, and so it's interesting that their seals were found uh, almost next to each other. Okay, so the prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. And Hezekiah loved the Lord. He served the Lord faithfully during his time. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. Let's continue. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, uh, from the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. Let's continue. Let's finish up. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend the city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. And so here we see Isaiah and Hezekiah, okay? They both lived during this period of time, some 2,700 years ago, right? And their seals are literally almost next to each other. And uh, what's interesting is that the letters that they have found on Isaiah literally describes him being a prophet of the Lord. Come on. Prophet of the Lord. Awesome. All right. Number seven. Number seven. We're, we're cruising along here. Number seven. This is Gideon's jug that they found 3,100 years. It's, it's 3,100 years old. And it actually doesn't have Gideon's name on it. It actually has Jeroboam. Uh, that, that's the name 
that is on this piece of pottery. Okay, Jeroboam. Now, it's like, well, why would his name be on his water jug, right? Well, don't you put your name on your water jug, right? Most of the time, right here. And, and what's, what's interesting, and we'll get into the, the, the scripture in a moment, is, is that I think about the story. Uh, Didi just talked about the story uh, of Gideon, right? And, and if you remember the story, they had to smash their jugs, right? And, and then they, they had the, the flame and, and the torches go up. And so this could literally be that jug that they found that they smashed, right? Right before the Lord gave them victory. Okay, so why is Jeroboam name on it and not Gideon's name on it. Judges 6, 31 through 32. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him. Who's Joash? Joash is, is Gideon's dad. Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Now, this is right after Gideon destroyed uh, all the idols and, and, and uh, man, smashed them to pieces and everybody was upset about it, Okay. Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name, come on, Jeroboam that day saying that Baal contend with him. Come on. And so we can literally align this portion of time around Gideon's life, and literally they had his, he put his nickname of what everybody called him on his jug. Come on, the Bible and archaeology are best friends. Church, we don't have to be afraid of science, we don't have to be afraid of history, and we certainly don't have to be afraid of archaeology, because archaeology actually walks hand in hand with Scripture. All right, number eight, number eight, number eight, we're cruising right along here. This is a, a 3,000-year-old Canaanite false god temple found in a city called Lachish, okay? So this is known as, man, one of the greatest discoveries as far as during this period of time because look how well-kept that is, okay? What you're looking at is you're looking at uh, a temple, uh, a Canaanite temple, and what they found in this Canaanite temple is over 3,000 different items, it was just a treasure trove from this area era. And they found jewelry, uh, they found arrowheads, um, and, and then they also found up top there that, that one big piece on the right. It's actually, it was actually huge. It was very large. And they feel uh, like it was from a larger idol that they created uh, um, inside the temple. And uh, most of it kind of, you know, fell apart. And that's a piece of it. But what, what you see down here is it would have been common um, from the Canaanite people. They would have these in these house, and they're about four inches tall, and they're 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 represent different gods, okay? That they would have in their homes, and they would worship them, and they would pray to them. They would have them uh, made in some uh, like I don't know about you, I wouldn't even touch that thing. I was just like, man, I, I wouldn't even want to touch that. Um, but th this is what they found inside the temple: these little mini gods that people would worship and make. Um, and, and what God would get so upset about His people, like, why are you worshiping something that is made of wood and bronze? And so uh, we actually have evidence of, uh, of, man, these false gods that these people created during this time. Uh, 2 Chronicles 25, 27. 
From the time that Amazah turned away from following the Lord, okay, so Amazah is not a follower of God. He's not a follower of God during this period of time. And this is interesting. They conspired against him in Jerusalem and fled to Lachish, okay? This proves that there was a town uh, in this region. They actually used scripture to find this, this uh, false uh, temple uh, that they found that all of these false gods in them. And what scripture tells us here is that Lachish was a place that did not serve the Lord, okay? Because this guy, what does he do? He flees to Lachish because he doesn't serve the Lord, but then they sent men after him in Lachish and they killed him there, okay? Um, So what, what that shows is that there was a real place called Lachish that they found that had you know, these, these Canaanite temples, these false god temples in them that they didn't worship the true Lord God, but they worshiped uh, different idols and different gods during this period. All right, number nine, number nine, discoveries on Mount Ebal. This is one of my favorite ones. Um, I'm saving my, my most favorite for last uh, today, but uh, man, this was, this was incredible what they found here um, on Mount Ebal. Go, go ahead and, and uh, put up the next slide. The covenant renewed at Mount Ebal and an, <clears throat> and an altar that is built there. Okay, this is straight out of Joshua 8, 30 through 31. And let's read it. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord. The God of Israel and Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. Go ahead and and show the picture, okay? This is literally uh, um, what they found. Look at all all the stones. The the stones are uncut. They're placed upon one another, and they found uh, animal remains uh, all uh, over this, this place. And uh, it shows that this is the altar that was built uh, according to Moses's, uh, Moses' recommendations of how to build it. And so we have, uh, uh, we have proof of that today, which I feel like is a really awesome discovery uh, of, of an altar that was built during this time period, okay? So uh, the, the, the altar... Uh, co- cultic structure on Mount Ebal, an earlier circular altar was discovered beneath at the exact geometric center. They discovered a small folded lead cursed tablet called the defixio, approximately the size of a folded business card, okay? So what's the big deal with this? So it's so old, okay? It's like this little small uh, defixio um, and it's so old that they didn't want to open it up because they didn't want to damage it. So what they did is they took an x-ray machine uh, to see what was actually written in, inside uh, of this thing, okay? Um, go ahead and, and put up the next scripture here. Deuteronomy 27, 13, and 14. So this is one of the things that happened in this moment on Mount Ebal, Okay. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zubalin, Dad, and Nephali. The Levites shall recite to all the people of Israel in a loud voice. So 
um, in, in Scripture here, they pronounce 12 curses, okay? Instead of blessing, they pronounce 12 curses uh, against people who do not serve the Lord in different ways, okay? So go, go ahead and, and put up the picture. This is what they found, okay? And written on this, written on this, you are cursed by God, Yahweh, cursed. You will die, cursed, cursed, you will die. Cursed you are by Yahweh, cursed. So they created this writing, this, this on tablet, to pronounce in this place that you will be cursed if you do not follow Yahweh. Okay, you'll be cursed in different ways, right? And this is what, what's incredible. This is um, the oldest place that they've ever discovered where those letters a, uh, Y-H-W, that stands for Yahweh, has ever been discovered, Okay which proves true that these people served Yahweh, and we actually have something in our hands tangible that we can see and look at and put back, even at this moment, right, where they're sacrificing and, and, and pronouncing curses, which is like strange, right? But it aligns perfectly with Deuteronomy 27. All right, last, number 10, and this is my favorite one, and this is something that has just been discovered over the last couple years, and that is Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Now, <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but when I read this story as uh, a teenager for the first time, it's one of these stories that you're kind of just like, really? Like the whole city on fire, right? And, and, and it's a story that um, a lot of people have tried to disprove, um, and that it's just a story to uh, that Christians made up uh, to disapprove of homosexuality, okay? And up to this point, last several years, we haven't had physical, tangible proof that these cities ever existed until now, okay? And what you're looking at is a discovery that they found, and that is a person that has been completely incinerated, Okay? Bones, everything, completely incinerated. And what they found at this, this, this site, known as Sodom and Gomorrah, is that they found uh, people that were like hiding behind a wall or standing behind a wall, that half of their body has been completely disintegrated. They, they found uh, tons of things that were just completely melted to, to the ground. Uh, they actually found a, a jug, a jug, that was uh, glazed. And, and so when they were looking through this, they're like, oh man, this might not align with our time period because they didn't start glazing jugs until way after. Well, they turned the other side of the jug over and it wasn't glazed. It was though as something really hot hit this city. And it wasn't just one region. So let, let, let's read it in Genesis 18:20. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. Their, their sin was just so in your face. It was, they were just so wicked. There was, there was no shame on this city. There was no hidden sin. They were very open and wild about their sin to the point that it was extravagant and, and flagrant, okay? And God heard the outcry of the wickedness of this 
city. So Genesis 19, 24 through 25, what does the Lord do? Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur, interesting, from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain. So he didn't just wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. He wiped out all the cities that were there on the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. So you can actually go to this, this site uh, called Sodom and Gomorrah today, and it's literally nothing but sand. It, it is completely wiped out. There's no vegetation. Nothing is growing there at all. And you can even go there today, and you can find, go ahead and put up that, that picture, you can find sulfur balls all over this region. It's exactly what the Lord said, right? That he would burn down fire and sulfur upon this region, and you can literally go, they're, they're everywhere, you can go and pick them up, and when, you can actually take a lighter, and you can set them on fire, and they burn. The Bible is so cool. The Bible is so amazing. Archaeology is amazing, that we can literally go to these places that the Bible describes and find tangible evidence of what happened in that place. When I think about Sodom and Gomorrah, I think about the words of Jesus. Luke 17, 28 through 30. It's important when Jesus mentions places and people that we should take another look at it, right? Luke 17, 28 through 30, Jesus says this, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. How were the days, how were the days during the period of Lot? Well, they were, their sin was extravagant. There, there was no hiding their sin. It was almost like they were proud of their sin. And I'm going to keep the message PG. Okay, And we know that, that they were fully ingrained in, in homosexual activity. And, and really every sexual immorality during this period of time in this region. Okay, Jesus says this, people went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So Jesus repeats this. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. <clears throat> so Jesus connects this cultural moment, Sodom and Gomorrah, with the cultural moment of his return. He's saying, look, it's going to be bad. People will be proud of their sin. There will be no shame. They will talk about it and force you to accept it. And it'll be like the days of Lot. My heart, as we see this story, right? God brings fire down and consumes all of these people, and He brings destruction. Because of Jesus, because of what we saw. And we read about of what happened in the upper room. 
he brought fire to them too. And I believe as we look at our world today, and it's probably very similar to, to the world of Sodom and Gomorrah, I believe that God wants to bring another fire to our country again. But it's not a fire of destruction. I believe he wants to bring a fire of the Holy Spirit that consumes us from the inside out. I believe that he wants to just as forcefully and, and, and just he, he brought a whole fire to a whole region. My prayer is that God would do it again. But this time, it would be the fire of the Holy Spirit that would consume his people and that we would repent of our sin and we would be part of the greatest revival in human history as things get worse and worse. We know that we need Jesus more and more and not just learning about Jesus and knowing Jesus, but experiencing his power and the fire of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would consume Passionate Life Church, that the Holy Spirit would consume this region and this neighborhood, and that we would experience revival. That's the fire that I believe God wants us to experience today. Come on, let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Maybe you'd say this morning, Pastor, I've never said yes to Jesus. Or maybe you've drifted from the truth and you just need to make a re-declaration that you're going to follow Jesus, that you're going to repent and you're going to follow Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you this morning, just slip up your hand. I just want to pray with you today. Yep. Yep. Thank you, dude. And I would just ask this morning, that we would help those making the greatest decision of their life today, that you would repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you did on the cross. And I ask this morning that you would forgive me of all my sins, that you would come into my life and be my Lord and King. And from this day forward, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give them a hand clap today. Heaven is rejoicing.